To forgive or not to forgive? That's the question before us today. And it's a hard question, isn't it? It's probably a lot harder than it even sounds initially. Because when we've been hurt, it's very easy for us to just kind of react, isn't it? When we've been hurt, we don't usually kind of step back and do the diagnostic work and think, well, so-and-so did this, and that hurt my feelings, but I can be a little detached and kind of think through that some, and they probably didn't mean to, or maybe there was a misunderstanding, and I'll just, I won't regard them according to that fault. And that's how we react when people hurt us, isn't it? <laughs> no, we're angry. We're frustrated. We want to lash out. We want to get, you said that about me? Wait till I tell them about you. That's where we are. And we feel justified in our unforgiveness. We don't ever say it that way. We never meet somebody that says, I am justified in my unforgiveness. Maybe a couple of us. But most of the time we just do it. We don't reflect on it. And that's why unforgiveness is so subtle. And why forgiveness is so hard. It's just kind of the way we react, isn't it? But then we run into Jesus. And this is one of those times where it's not a lot of fun to run into Jesus. Sometimes it's great fun. He's there and he's feeding and he's throwing a party and everybody's there. But this is one of those times where it's not quite as comforting to hear what Jesus has to say. In fact, it might be a little frustrating. In fact, we may even think he sounds, wait for it, ridiculous. Like, are you kidding me, Jesus? Could you possibly be serious? You don't know how I feel. You don't know how could you how could you know what this feels like? Because Jesus is over there saying to forgive, right? You're hurt. You've been offended. It's just this this deep grief and it's grueling and it's painful and Jesus is over there saying I want you to forgive him not once, not twice, not three, not seven times. 77 Over and over. In fact, who's, who's even counting at that point? And we hear Jesus and we think that's impossible. You can't know how I feel. It's ridiculous. It's over the top. No one has that in them, do they? How could he possibly know? And that's our question until we remember where the gospel story's going, isn't it? How could Jesus know what it feels like to be hurt as badly as me? That's our question until we remember that this Matthew 18 is leading towards the cross. right? And in just a few chapters, Jesus is going to be uh, abandoned by His closest friends. Denied by one of them and betrayed by another one. To death. Right? And then He's going to be tortured to death after he gets a kangaroo court kind of trial. Deep injustice, deep offense, the gravest sin that anyone has ever committed to crucify the Son of God. And Jesus goes to the cross. And he looks at the criminals beside him and offers words of comfort. He looks to his Father and offers his will of obedience, and he looks at us and offers himself for our forgiveness. And it's then we begin to see things a little more clearly, isn't it? Right? That this whole forgiveness thing isn't just kind of 
a box to tick on the list of what it means to be a good Christian. You know, it's just one of the things you do. It's not really what, that's Peter's attitude, isn't it? It's not really what Jesus is about here. Forgiveness in the New Testament, in the Gospels, for Jesus, forgiveness is not just something you do. It's how you embody the character of God. And that's the bottom line in Matthew 18. Forgiveness is not just something we do to be a good Christian. It's how we begin, and not just begin, but how we go on embodying God's own character revealed in Jesus. Right now, this is Peter's attitude. Peter's got the first attitude. It's just something I got to do, right? And Peter, I love, this is one of those places where, you ever have that time where you're feeling really spiritual? You know, you just had your devotion and you're in, you're tuned in and you know what's going on. And you're thinking, man, I just, I'm, I got some insight into this. The Lord's showing me stuff and I'm feeling real spiritual. That's where Peter is today, right? He thinks he's going to get some points with Jesus with this one. Hey, Lord, hear, hear what he says. How many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? You know, and you know it's coming, right? Not once, not twice, Lord. How about seven times? And you all know in the, New in the Bible, ancient Hebrew culture, seven's a number associated with perfection, right? Doesn't get any better than seven. It's all there. It's just super spiritual, super perfect. It's just, it's the divine number. It's, it's, the, it's just Peter's on top of it. Jesus should be impressed, right? Anytime you think you're impressing Jesus, you just need to back off from that a little bit. <laughs> and Peter's about to learn that the hard way, isn't he? How many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? And Jesus says, not seven times, Peter. It's not just, we're not, we're not keeping count here. That's not the, it's not the approach. Not seven times. Seventy-seven. Not seven, 77. Peter's attitude is, this is something i got to do, and I'm going to do it, and I'll just, it'll be, I'll tick my box. I'm keeping count, right? You've offended me. I'll, hey, what do you do when you get to eight, I wonder? <laughs> Can he then be unforgiving? I mean, is that how he's thinking about this? You know, he's just, that's his attitude. It's, I'm keeping score, and that's how we approach things sometimes, isn't it? Well, you did this for me, and I'll do that for you. You treated me this way, I'll treat you this way, and we kind of, Keep score when it comes to forgiveness and unforgiveness. And Peter's got this number that he can handle and he's in control seven. I got, that, I got enough fingers to keep up with that. And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not the attitude. We're not just sort of ticking the box. We're not, keep it, we're not keeping count. We're not keeping score. It's not just something you do. It's how you begin to embody the character of God. And he makes that point with this parable about a king and his servants, his slaves. The parable may be familiar to many of you. There's this slave, and he owns his master. What does it say? 10,000 talents. Now, <clears throat> a talent in the ancient world uh, is about a year's worth of wage. Right? Excuse me, I think I got that mistaken. About 15 years' worth of wage. Let's get that right. That's even worse, isn't it? So if you're a day laborer, it's going to take you 15 years, maybe a little bit more, to earn one talent. And the point in the text is, this guy owes more than he can make in a lifetime. He can, even though he says, I'll pay it all, have patience on me, I'll pay you everything I owe. And he's about to lose his life, he's about to be sold, his family's going to be sold to pay a part of the debt. 
and says, I'll pay it all. And the master knows he can never do that. A slave could never pay off more than a lifetime's worth of debt. And the master has mercy on him, doesn't he? And compassion. And he forgives the debt and lets the guy go. Right? So you see an aspect of this master's character, don't you? You see how his character is forgiving, kind, merciful. He's going to err on the side of grace, isn't he? And he's going to sacrifice. I mean, this guy's out quite an investment, isn't he? He's losing out 15 years worth of salary. He's making a sacrifice for this other guy who did him wrong. And he's going out of his way to, to, make, to, to make a sacrifice for someone who did him wrong. You're forgiven. You can go. And so that slave heads off down the street. He sees another slave who owes him some money. A far smaller sum. A hundred denarii. A denarius is about a day's wage. So this is not even a, about a, maybe a third, not even a third of a year's worth of, of income. Far less sum, right? Far less. And the text is so, in fact, he grabs the guy by the throat, right? Just moments ago, he's pleading for his life, for a far greater uh, uh, level of forgiveness. Now he sees this other, one of his peers, and he goes to the guy, grabs, have you ever grabbed somebody? Don't answer that. If you, but, you know, <laughs> grabs somebody by the throat. I mean, why? I mean, that's how you kill people, right? Grabs him by the throat. Pray what you owe. And the guy pleads with him and he won't do it. And he throws him in prison. And the point of the parable is that this guy is not embracing and embodying the character of his master. Right? The, the, and even the, the other slaves are horrified. They're like, wow, wow. Can you believe this? We just saw the great level of forgiveness that was extended to you and you can't offer um, just a smidgen of that to this other guy. And they are, they're, they're just they're losing it. Right? They're blown away. Greatly distressed is how the text puts it. Modern translation, they're out of their minds. Right? Because this guy is not embodying the mercy, forgiveness, and grace that's been shown to him. Right? His character is 180 degrees in the other direction from his master's. And that's what Jesus is, that's the point Jesus is wanting to make. It's not, you know, this 10,000 talents, 100 denarii, that's not about keeping score, is it? I mean, the, the difference is too great. The numbers are too far apart. It's not about keeping a tally of who's kind of, you're on the forgiveness chart and you've got to a good level and you can kind of just sit. That's not what's going on. It's not just something you do. It's not a box to tick. It's not this legalistic, I've done this and now I've kind of hit my forgiveness quota and I don't have to do it anymore. We treat it that way. You know, We'll forgive some things, but there are some things unforgivable. Hit my quota. Not, no, there's a cap to what I can do. And Jesus wants to come along and say, it's not how it works not how it works right because your master your god has forgiven an innumerable infinite offense and there's nothing that anyone in this world has done to you that comes close to that right? that one slave and his debt doesn't come close to the master's 
And so Jesus is telling Peter, right? The seven times business is not what we're at here. It's not what we're about. We're not keeping count. We are focused on embodying the character of God. We're focused on embodying the character of the One who comes to those who had offended Him. Right? This is Jesus. right? And <clears throat> In the Gospels, Jesus is the one who says, I'm going to be the judge at the end of time. It's not like God the Father's the judge and Jesus is off to the side going, yep, died for him. Nope, not for him. That's not what's going on. It's Jesus, right? People stand before Jesus himself. And the judge is the one with nail marks in his hands and thorn scars in his face. You know, just, I mean, think about, think about it right now. I mean, just, just think about it. Like, Romans were really good at hurting people. Like, Roman soldiers, I mean, like, they were professional killers. It's what they did in the most painful way possible. You know, so we read these stories about Jesus being flogged. Flogged so that the skin, the, the flesh on his back was just probably hanging. And we learn in the Gospels that when He comes out of the grave on Easter morning, He comes with the scars of the cross. So I'm thinking right now about Jesus' body enthroned at the right hand of God the Father at this moment. Right now in heaven, there's a human body enthroned at the right hand of God. And the back of that body bears the scars of that flogging. You might even want to close your eyes and try to imagine that for a second. Right now, in heaven, there's a body with the scars of flesh that's just been ripped away from bone for you. And that's the body you'll stand before one day with all those scars. Just like that slave stood before his master. And the mouth on that body will open. You're forgiven. Come to me. Experience my joy. And when we, when we can really begin, just begin to perceive that that's how Jesus comes to us. Right? The, the offended judge is the one that carries the scars of forgiveness. Can we, can we just remember that? Jesus wrote the law. <laughs> He's the Word of God. The words that come out of God's mouth. Like Ten Commandments. Jesus is the enfleshment of that. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the judge. And the judge who is offended is the one who carries the scars that are the cost of forgiveness. Jesus. Brothers and sisters, forgiveness is not about all right, I'm going to do it this time, but don't make a mistake again. That's not the kind of thing. I can forgive this, but this is too much. When we can begin to see that the one we've offended, the judge who's offended, the judge of all, is the one who was tortured to death so that we could be forgiven. We begin to realize that. We begin to realize forgiveness isn't just something we do. It's how we begin to embody His character. That's what He wants for us. 
That's why he puts such an emphasis on this. That's why he says, Peter, stop trying to be super spiritual. Put your eyes on me. And I'm going to reproduce my character in your life. And I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to change everything about you. Things that felt impossible. Because that's how we feel, remember? Jesus, this sounds impossible and ridiculous. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how I feel. I'm walking down the halls of my school. And they're there and they're saying and they're pushing and it's painful. And I just... I'm at work. My colleagues are... I lost my job because of them. How am I going to feed my kids? And we're there, and Jesus is not a detached, disinterested observer. He knows how it feels to be hurt, and he wants to reproduce his character in his people. He knows how it feels to be hurt. When I think about that kind of forgiveness, I can't help but think of the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Maybe you've read some of her books. <coughs> The Elliots were missionaries to Ecuador. They went there to, uh, make sure I get this right. They went there to be missionaries to the Alka people. Unreached people group, no contact with the outside world. They went there with some other people. One of the folks, one of the other missionaries was a guy named Nate Saint. And Nate Saint is famous for, uh, for saying... Right, because these are dangerous folks. They tend to kill outsiders. Uh, you know, they asked Nate Saint, will you defend yourself if they become aggressive? And he's famous for saying, <laughs> I will not shoot the Alcas. Because I'm ready to meet Jesus. But they're not. That's not just courage, that's a lot of faith right there, folks. Those folks become aggressive towards me, I'm not going to return that aggression because I'm ready to meet Jesus. <laughs> and they're not. So these guys fly in, they get in a plane, they fly in, they kind of land in this river thing, and the natives come out. And very quickly, all the missionaries are speared to death. The wives and the kids go back home to the States. Some time passes. And they discover they had a choice to make. They could hold on to unforgiveness towards the people who killed their husbands and fathers. Or they could embody the character of Jesus. They went back, the wives, and continued the mission for the salvation of the people who killed their husbands. Texts like this, testimonies like that, begin to help us see what forgiveness really looks like. Forgiveness, friends, is not pretending it didn't happen. It's not kind of sweeping things under the rug. Oh, let's just ignore that. It'll go away for a little while. After a little while. Now, forgiveness acknowledges the reality of the fence and says, you hurt me, but I'm not going to regard you according to that offense. That's how Jesus 
I mean, the cross says, your sin causes pain. Right? Jesus, when he goes to the cross, is not sweeping anything under the rug, is he? He's not ignoring the offense. He's acknowledging the full force of it. And taking the full force of it on himself. And when those wives went back to that river, to those alcas, imagine what their hearts must have feel like when the plane landed. When they began hiking through the jungles. Imagine the fear they might have felt. Imagine the temptation to walk in unforgiveness. The first time they laid eyes on the people who speared their spouses. And imagine the joy when those folks bowed their knees to Jesus for the first time. Reminds me of a time that someone hurt me about as bad as I've ever been hurt in my life. Nothing like that. Not even close. And I'll get to where I'm thinking I'm doing okay. I mean, you know what it's like to not, to not just to be hurt, but to be really hurt. You feel betrayed. It's just something, that deep thing. And this, I mean, the greatest offense of my adult life. I think I'm doing okay. Walking in forgiveness. Seven times maybe, right? Right there with Peter. And then I find myself in a room with this person. And I think, I don't even want to go near this person. And all this stuff in my heart starts bubbling up and the frustration and the fury and the hurt, all the things that I thought, man, I thought I'm just kind of giving that to Jesus, but I haven't given it to Jesus because here it is again. Just coming back and it hurts and it's frustrating and it's painful. And the Lord Jesus says... <laughs> you really want to follow me if you really if you if you really want to follow me you don't get to just avoid this person you don't get to walk to the other side of the room and just create as much distance as possible and Jesus says I know that's what you want to do with every fiber of your being But what I want you to do is to walk over to that person. Just take the step. I'm wondering who that person is for all of us. I'm wondering uh, what names have popped into our heads <laughs> in the last few minutes. I'm wondering how many of us have begun to realize, wait a second, I, I kind of thought I'd dealt with that, but now I'm not quite so sure.
I can tell you from experience, this is one of the hardest pieces of following Jesus. Choosing not to regard people who've hurt us according to their offense is one of the hardest things to do. See that in the life of Jesus when he is crying out in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And he invites his followers to just a, just a minute taste of that experience. But there's no other way. Followers of Jesus at one time or another will be called upon to forgive. Here's the good news. When you're able to take that step and follow Jesus and begin to embody His character, over time, the seed of joy sprouts in your heart. Because there's nothing better, brothers and sisters, than participating in the character of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit whose chief whose chief character is holy love. I mean, just take a moment and think about the love that has existed perfectly between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before anything was made and will exist forever. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit. And that rich, perfect, holy, beautiful, glorious, magnificent, unfailing, unfailing love is what Jesus reaches out to us with nail-scarred hands and says, come to Me. I want to make you a participant in My love. But as long as you're holding unforgiveness in your heart, you'll never be able to fully participate in My joy. That's why these stories end on such painful notes. You can't participate in the joy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The perfect love of the triune God. When we're holding that, just when our hearts are seething, and when they're hard, and when they're lashing out, I don't know who it is for you. <laughs> I know who it is for me. <laughs> I don't know who it is for you. I'm wondering when we come to the table in a moment, when we gather, come and, and break bread and receive the, the body and blood of Jesus. And because this meal is all about forgiveness, isn't it? I mean, that's what Jesus says. Drink this cup. Right? This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. This is my sacrifice. This is my 10,000 talents. My blood shed for your forgiveness. And then he, offers, he invites his disciples to drink that cup, to participate in his blood and all that it means. And to begin embodying that aspect of his character. So I'm wondering when we come to this table, we take that bread and we dip it in that cup and we put it in our mouths and we feel that juice go down our throats. 
wondering maybe if we can just say, Lord Jesus, here's the name of the person I need to forgive. And I'll do it today. Because you forgave me. And if you can forgive me, you can give me the strength to extend that to this person.